This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. Good to be with you for a special two-part series here on the Equip Podcast. This series of two podcasts over the next couple weeks is actually going to be all about disability and the image of God. It Kind of the root of this podcast springs out a conversation that I had with a good friend, Laura Whiffler, a member here at Cornerstone. Laura and Mike have a daughter who was born with special needs, and we were just talking about how it is that as a church and as God's people, we're to see disabilities, the curse of sin, and God's sovereignty work its out in the way out in the world. And I thought there's so much of what Laura and I were discussing, reflecting on, that actually offers a unique window in to see how Christians respond to difficult things in the world, but also how it is that knowing the truth of God and what it means to be made in His image shapes the way we live. And so, off of this, we're going to do two parts. The first part here I'm going to do today, which is really a reflection about disabilities, a sin-cursed world, and a sovereign God how it is that God can use even the brokenness in this creation to do something special and wonderful in His sovereign plan. But then the second part, Laura is going to join us on the podcast and share her perspective as a mom, as someone who understands deeply what it's like to have a child with disability, be a family to those with disabilities, about ways the church can love families and children. And so, I think there's a ton here for us that's beautiful and good. Tune in. If, even if you don't listen to this podcast, tune in. Laura has so much of wonderful godly wisdom to share in the second part of this. But in part one, I actually want to just kind of talk about why actually there's a special way that in the weakness of disability in a sin-cursed world, God can show us the beauty of His image. You know, when we think about a child born with a disability or an individual who maybe they're like uh, Joni Erickson Tata, the famous writer who was paralyzed um, in a tragic accident in her teen years and has lived for 50 plus years now with a severe uh, paralysis disability. As we think about people who have those disabilities, one of the first questions that comes to mind is, is why does that happen? Where does this come from? And the first thing to say about this theologically, as we're thinking, is that these disabilities are the result of sin. Now, I need to be careful with how I say that. I am not saying that if there's something wrong with a child born to you, you must have done something wrong. You must have sinned. There's an overly simplistic view of sin that sees law, life is just a cause and effect sort of world. If you do something wrong, something bad happens to you. So if you have a child born with a disability, or you yourself experience you know, a terrible life-changing, quality of life-shaping disability, you must have done something wrong to deserve it. It's a So people there see disability as a result of God's punishment of personal sin. What I mean when I say disability is a result of sin is that disability exists because the ground is cursed by sin. 
If you go back to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, what we see is in God's good and beautiful, perfect plan, people made in his image flourish the way they're designed. They, they are built with incredible capacity, but because of human sin in Genesis chapter 3, God says the ground is going to be cursed because of that sin, Adam. Now, this is significant. That word ground, the word ground in Genesis is the word Adama. Adam's name, literally, you could translate it as groundling or ground made one. We see this in the famous scripture verse that says, we were made of dust and we returned to dust, from dust to dust. We are literally made of the ground. And so that curse that is assigned because of sin, because of Adam and Eve's original sin, breaking God's good laws, the ground is cursed, and that means we are cursed. Romans 8 says that we who have the Spirit within us, we groan waiting for the redemption of our bodies. What that means is that disability, the brokenness that we see in our bodies, is the result of the curse of sin. It's not the result of just my personal sin, like I've done something wrong, so therefore this this disability impacts me. No, not at all. It's that disability is an evidence that we are not in a world made perfect yet, that sin still rules and reigns in some ways here. In the new heavens and new earth, where Jesus rules and reigns, where the sin curse has been broken after he wipes away every tear from our eyes, it says there's going to be no more sickness, no more death. Cancer exists because the sin curse is real. Autism exists because the sin curse is real. Friends, there are no wheelchairs in heaven. There's no need for that because disability is a result of the sin curse. But here's the second thing then to consider that is so profoundly important. Those who may be broken by the curse of sin, who have a distinct disablement of them still retain the beauty of God's image in this world. It's true of the creation itself. The creation groans. It has been subjected to the curse of sin, but yet think of the beauty that it still retains. What that tells us is that even things that are broken are still beautiful. Even those who are find themselves disabled are still reflecting God's image and God's glory. I want to read you, actually, an excerpt from an article that Joni Erickson Tata, she's the individual I mentioned earlier, who writes as an author from a distinctly Christian perspective, but as one who has experienced the disability of paralysis for almost all of her adult life. And she writes in this article, it's titled, True Quality of Life. I'm going to just quote for a minute in extension. She says people ask her about her quality of life being disabled. How how can you have a good quality of life when you have to be bathed and dressed and even toileted by people? There's a severe disability, therefore it must be so hard to be pushed around in a wheelchair. She writes this, As difficult as that may be, I remember in whose image I am made. My body may be broken, but I am still a God reflector. That is what gives me human dignity, not my ability to walk or use my hands or toilet myself. And I want to pass that on to that encouragement to everyone, no matter what their age or what their ability or disability. She writes, I used to think that the only cultures that only cultures in dark corners of the earth considered people with disabilities as useless and of no value, places where infants born with disabilities were drowned or discarded. 
The truth is, though, even enlightened nations consider certain individuals with disabilities as valueless. There are places where a doctor can legally put to death an infant or an elderly person with a mild disability. Even those who do not have the medical power to end a life are too quick to fall into the lie that it's beneath our dignity to help weak and helpless people, or that a person is better off dead than disabled. This is one of the reasons why I do everything I can to show the world that life is worth living, that a disability is not a reason to end a person's life, because God made us in His image. This is so important. Note this. And that fact alone gives us true human dignity in the reason to exist. No matter our abilities or disabilities, we are God reflectors. We are to showcase in whose image we are made. Yes, my body is broken, but I am still a mirror of the God who is pleased to make me in his image. That is so profound. I discipline myself to rehearse this reality of whose image I bear, and like the psalmist, I proudly proclaim these words, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you. All the days were ordained for me, were written in your book before one of them came to be. Friend, that is what gives me dignity. Not my ability to walk or use my hands or toilet myself or cut my own food. No, my dignity is rooted in Christ who is in me, the hope of glory. And if God's glory shines brightest through our weakness, and it does, then our inabilities perhaps are the best platform for God's highest glory. That's what makes a great quality of life, all of our life sanctified by his image. I'll end my quote there. It's a beautiful, beautiful article, and I would commend you highly all of Joni's work on the subject of disability and on the subject of the image of God and suffering. It is so good. It is just so good. I'm going to underline this. So remember, we said disability comes as a result of the sin curse, but even those broken by the curse of sin still retain the image of God and reflect it. And in fact, they're actually, Joni says something there that I think is so powerful. She says, God's glory shines brightest through our weakness. Friends, I wonder if actually sometimes we see the value of God's image as Christians even more, even more when we see the value of those that actually the world around us would think are lower in value or in status. You know, this has been true of Christians since the very early days of the church. And the epistle to Diogenetus, an early Christian apologist, was writing to an unbeliever named Diogenetus. And he's unpacking why Christians are so different from the world around them. And what he writes is he says, Christians are not distinguished from the rest of humanity by country, language, or custom. Nowhere do they live in cities of their own. They don't speak some unusual dialect or practice an eccentric way of life. This teaching of Christianity has not been discovered by the thought or reflection of indigenous people. They don't promote human doctrine. But while they live in Greek and barbarian citizens and cities, as each one's loss was cast and they follow the local customs of dress and food and other aspects of life, at the same time, they demonstrate the remarkable and admittedly unusual character of their own citizenship in heaven. Think of this. These words from the very first centuries of Christianity. He writes, They live in their own countries, but only as non-residents. They participate in everything as citizens, but endure everything as foreigners. Every foreign country is their fatherland, and every fatherland therefore is foreign. They marry like everyone else, and they have children, but they do not expose their offspring. I'm going to explain that sentence. Exposure 
was an ancient practice of infanticide or abortion, where an infant that was born until they were useful to society, a parent could simply set the infant out. They would expose them to the elements to see if they would survive as a way almost of the gods judging the infants. It was a way that the weakest of children would be discarded by society. Christians in the early days of Christianity not not only would not expose their infants, early Christian writers tell us that Christians would often go around in Roman cities and pick up the infants who'd been left out and care for them. Why? Because in the earliest of days, Christians realized people made in God's image matter, period. They don't matter because of what they contribute. They matter because of who they reflect. I'll continue on with the epistle from Diogenetus, or to Diogenetus, rather. It says they share their food, but they don't share their wives. They are in the flesh, but they don't live according to the flesh. They live on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws. But in their private lives, they transcend the laws. They love everyone, and by everyone, they are persecuted. They are known. They are unknown, yet condemned. They are put to death, yet they are brought to life. They are poor, yet they, may, yet they make many rich. They are in need of everything, that yet they abound in everything. They are dishonored, yet they are glorified in their dishonor. They are slandered, yet they are vindicated. They are cursed, and they blessed insulted, yet they offer respect. When they do good, they're punished as evildoers, and when they're punished, they rejoice as though brought to life. There's something countercultural about the way we're to live as Christians. We value what other people see as discarded. And that certainly applies to children, to adults who have a disability. The world around might look and say, there's a lack of quality of life. Can they really be that valuable? But we say it's is actually those people that the world sees as less valuable that we see as beautiful. We value weakness, not just strength, because people made in God's image matter, period. And so as we see, as we see beautiful members of our congregation children with a disability, adults with a disability, families wrestling through that. One of the great ways we can show that we're different to a world that needs the difference of Christianity is by loving what the world would overlook, by valuing what the world would discard. Christians, we have to be different people. So that means when we see a brother or sister made in God's image who may be different than us, maybe they can't walk or jump, we need to teach our children, that people who may not have that have something far more valuable. They're made in God's image. We need, we need to work to give greater honor. That's what the scripture says, to the parts of our body that are less presentable. There's something actually our weakness shows of the value of Christ that our world can't totally understand. And so it's not simply that we endure, we do endure some of the trials of what it means to live in a sin-cursed world, but we find the beauty of God expressed in our weakness. It's in our weakness, in many ways, that God's power is displayed. You see, no one in the world, you know, no one in the world will fight with you that a beautiful, healthy, rich, flourishing person is valuable. Everybody thinks people like that are valuable in the world, right? It's about our care for people who the world would think is deplorable. A politician many few years ago 
slipped up in a private moment and said, we don't want to give the country over to people like those deplorables. And what that politician was referencing was a group of people that they looked at as less than. People who maybe weren't as highly educated, who were more blue-collar, a little crude. And they said, those deplorable people. And what they were echoing out loud was something that almost all the world thinks, that people are valuable because of what they contribute, because of the status they have or the power they have or the education they have. But as Christians, what we realize is it's only God who's supremely valuable. All of us are in some ways part of that category of the deplorables. All of us are just a mist. All of us are really weak. And it's until it's not until we actually see our weakness, we see our are in some ways deplorable state before God, that we realize where true value comes. Not in what we contribute, not in what we do, but in who we are made in His image. That there's a creator that looks at the child with a chromosomal defect and says, you're beautiful to me because you're made in my image and I love what I see. Friends, perhaps it's in that weakness that we say something more powerful about what God's like and about the value of people than we would if we just valued the powerful person, the person with status, the person with influence, the person who in some ways the world would say is completely whole. In final word, thinking about how we wrestle with disability, you know, we, it's a result of the curse of sin. Yes, there's no wheelchairs in heaven, but our brothers and sisters broken by sin, retain God's image so they're beautiful. And actually in their weakness, perhaps they show God's value even more clearly. And I want to come back to this and I want to say it in the most careful way possible, that somehow in God's sovereign plan and providence, God can allow what is painful to produce what is good. There's this instance in John chapter 9 in the New Testament where the disciples come upon a man who was disabled from birth, And the crowd asks, they say, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus' answer was profound. He says, it's not this man or his parents who sinned that matters. This happens that the glory of God would be displayed, and he heals that person. What's profound there is the crowd is thinking, well, something, they had to do something wrong for that wrong thing to happen. And Jesus says, actually, no, God was willing to allow what was painful, allow what was broken allow what is out of order of God's good creation in order that God could do something good through it so that the power of God would be displayed. That doesn't mean that there's an easy, trite, simple explanation for every parent whose child is born with a disability. It's crass and unloving to try to find an easy answer for a hard situation. But there is something that I wonder, I wonder about when we see the disabilities. When I see a child wheeled into our our Cornerstone Kids classroom on a Sunday, I find myself thinking of how beautiful it will be in the new heavens and new earth when that child gets up out of that wheelchair and runs to Jesus we will see something of God's glory and beauty overcoming sin that we would not have seen were it not for the pain that God would transcend.
That's not a trite way to try to explain away pain. It's a beautiful reality that it's actually God healing our brokenness that will magnify his glory in the end. In the end, when he makes all things new, all things new will mean wheelchairs go away and cancer goes away and chromosomal defects go away and people are fully and freely and perfectly reflecting the image of their God in a world that is totally rid of sin. On that day, we will look back at the sovereign allowance of God in our lives and we will see ways that forever we will say, wow, God, your wisdom is perfect. We trust you even when we don't understand. So friends, this is just a little bit of amusing, but I want to come back to this basic idea. What if it is true that one of the most profound ways we can be a witness to the glory of God in the world is actually not in our successes as Christians, but in our weaknesses? What if it's actually in our care for those who the world would say aren't worth as much? What if it's our love for those image bearers that says the most about God, that shows the beauty of God to a watching world most profoundly? In that way, our love of our brothers and sisters made in God's image, but experiencing the pain of a disability here may be one of the most profound witnesses we can make to a world. And if we can see people that way, it also opens the door up for us to move toward them, toward their family, in love, in affection, and care. And so I hope, again, this is part one, just a thought on disability, the glory of God, the sovereignty of God, the image of God. But tune in for part two, where we'll get some wisdom from from our friend Laura about ways that we can love our friends, our family members, our people in our church community who have a disability that impacts their family. God bless you as you seek to love what he loves and to show the world what he's like. 